all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, internal medicine and pediatric professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Good morning to everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day. It looks beautiful outside. Love this time of year in central Mississippi. Hope you're having a great time too, and maybe at least looking out a window at the uh, if you're stuck inside. Um, it's uh, nice to uh, to help uh, to. Try to at least experience that in some way or another. This is Southern Remedy, the program where we talk about your healthcare concerns and try to answer your questions and listen to some comments too. We like to help each other out in the state of Mississippi and surrounding broadcast areas. You can call in today with your healthcare question, whether it's yourself or somebody else in your family or your friends, by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call in today, or maybe if something uh, comes up later and you want to contact us, you can always email us. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll try to respond to your email as quickly as we can with the information that you need. And from time to time, we like to share some of those emails with our larger audience because there are some really good questions that are common to a lot of people who uh, who are listening to us. Would encourage you to call in early rather than to wait later in the hour. It's always hard to be that first person. I'm giving you permission to do that this morning. Um, there, we have, usually we have a little bit more time in the first part of the hour. So call in now if you uh, have that question about anything. Uh, the number again is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. I have a follow-up uh, about a question that we had several weeks ago about different treatments for COVID-19. You know, there's a lot of things that are being prescribed uh, by physicians and by different clinics, and there's really not a whole lot of evidence outside of monoclonal antibody therapy uh, that works. And we had a question in particular about a uh, medication that is an antiparasitical medication called ivermectin. And uh, they, this was touted, I think, uh, maybe Wisconsin, one of our northern states. Uh, there was somebody that was saying, hey, they'd used it in a, you know, some patients and it seemed to decrease symptoms. Well, actually, you know, that's, uh, that, that's anecdotal evidence. It's not evidence that's very strong. And in any medication with a new um, infectious disease, the, the way that you, you really see if it is effective is a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. In other words, you give that medication to half the people, you give a placebo to the other people, that's a, a non-active ingredient medication, 
or, or placebo medication. And then you compare both groups. And um, this was studied at about 400 individuals. Half were given the ivermectin and the other half were given the placebo for five days. And there really wasn't any, um, any difference in COVID symptoms at the end of that five days or at 21 days later. So they did look at this, these groups later. So, um, you know, not any evidence to date that ivermectin, uh, you know, although cheap and widely available, um, that that is useful. And some people may say, well, why not give it anyway? I mean, if there's nothing, you know, even if, if one or two people may have some improvement, well, medications, even some that seem innocuous, can have lots of side effects. So that's one of the things, you know, the first tenet of good medicine is to do no harm. And um, giving medications, even those that are given for other things, even medications that have a, a good side effect profile, you know, for instance, uh, azithromycin or Zithromax has been given to treat COVID, not any evidence that it works either. It is an antibiotic that we use in other um, diseases, though. And uh, unfortunately, if you give it to people who don't need it, that changes uh, the resistance of bacteria to that so that it may become less useful over time. So we do have to think about those things. Uh, we, you know, I, I can say personally, I, I try not to give medications that I know are not going to be uh, effective, uh, except in cases where, you know, it's, it's, it's proven that they may help. Uh, and you have to sort of balance out that risk-benefit ratio. But right now, we know the only thing that really works um, in both alleviating symptoms, uh, trying to decrease some of the symptoms, particularly that lead to hospitalization and high-risk people, are is a monoclonal antibody therapy that's directed against uh, COVID-19. So just wanted to share that. I do like to follow up on some of our questions that we get because they are so good. Um, don't ever think that your question is uh, a an un, uh, unimportant question or that other people uh, aren't going to ask that kind of thing because uh, oftentimes it does pop up. Uh, lots of questions this week about uh, increased vaccinations in my clinic and uh, access to that. I got a couple of a uh, couple of questions about ages and you know this is state by state. The way our rules work in the United States is that the government, the federal government. Uh, really by law is prohibited from telling the states how to do things. They can, of course, provide recommendations. And the main way they do that is through uh, organizations like the CDC and task force uh, that are, that are uh, put together in different times. But, um, you know, in our state right now, um, there's really a limitation down to about age 16, depending on which vaccine, 18 or 16, uh, which vaccine you're talking about. If you have chronic medical conditions, so it's not opened up all the way. If you did catch the news a little bit earlier, you know, there is a lot of interest in broadening this out um, to asymptomatic individuals. I'm sorry, individuals that don't have uh, chronic health conditions and down into the high school uh, population, maybe as young as first graders. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, children can get COVID-19. Uh, they tend to be asymptomatic, which, uh, you know, certainly they are not going to be affected individually, but they can pass that on without anybody's knowledge uh, with those symptoms or without symptoms to other people who may become sick. And, uh, uh, you know, we've we've traced this back in uh, in our own practice with uh, certain families that, uh, you know, kids 
uh, uh, were exposed to it un- unknown at school and then brought it home. And then that's, that's sort of the way that the rest of the family and older individuals got it. So, um, so there is a lot of interest in this, a lot of trials are going on to make sure that it's safe in those individuals and that it's effective. Um, and probably by the fall to early winter, I, I'm betting we'll see it maybe even a little bit lower in age than, uh, than high school. This is Southern Remedy, uh, the number to call if you have a question about your healthcare needs. Maybe it's a new medication that you're on. Maybe it's uh, some symptoms that you can't quite get a hold of or a new diagnosis that you didn't quite understand the impact of. Uh, you can call us with any and all questions this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send, send an email to remedy at mpbonline.com. Dot org. Uh, lots of allergies coming up. You know, we've had a, a really good freeze there longer than we normally have in the South. And uh, certainly that can sort of stunt a lot of the growth in, in some plants, but it also can sort of set them up for a really heavy bloom if they have the right conditions after that. So in the next few weeks, I've noticed uh, a lot of flowers blooming right now, right after that frost, uh, or, well, more than a frost, about through that, that uh, extended freeze. And um, that, of course, is going to cause a lot of seasonal allergies that we can have. Uh, if you know that you have seasonal allergies, you may want to talk to your physician about going ahead and starting medications during that season to decrease them. I saw a patient this morning that... Uh, uh, has some sort of seasonal symptoms, and that was my recommendation to them is that they go ahead and start something. Uh, there are really good medications to do that, uh, particularly when you can't avoid everything, and certainly pollen in the air, even if you're inside, there's a lot of uh, exposure to that going in and out. Uh, you can do things like a topical nasal steroid. If most of your allergy symptoms tend to be in your nasal passages, it's pretty simple to use. It's a a regimen that I use myself for my own allergies. A nasal wash um, is another one that uh, is not uh, based on a medication, but certainly you can wash all those allergens off of your nasal passages and make sure that they uh, drain appropriately. And then, of course, there are um, there are uh, uh, lots of antihistamines that you can use, and a lot of people don't like the systemic side effects of those, but you, of course, uh, they can help prevent it during this time of year. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions and comments about any kind of healthcare problem that you might have today. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven 
672-7464. We're going to go to Dwayne from Mobile. Good morning, Dwayne. Thank you for calling, and what's your question? Good morning. Um, yeah, I've been having for probably about the last, uh, I'm going to say, four to five weeks, a really sharp burning pain in my in the inside joint of my ankle. And I, I tried researching a little bit online the reasons why. Uh, this might be happening. Of course, you come up with all kinds of stuff when we are want to do that ourselves. Um, <laughs> it's not specifically due to an injury uh, that I'm aware of, but in reading like some of the symptoms like of tarsal tunnel syndrome or something like that, uh, it could have been something that was, you know, because I've always historic. I have flat feet. I always injured my ankle very easily when I was younger playing. You know, I could step on a rock and twist my ankle. Um and so I'm wondering what might be the cause, because even like right now, I'm sitting still as far as my feet moving or anything. And then all of a sudden, it'll be a very, very sharp burning pain right in that joint that'll take a few seconds to subside. And so I'm just trying to figure out uh, what might be the cause of something like that. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a complex issue, Dwayne, because of that joint itself. So the ankle joint is a very complex joint. You would think it wouldn't be that way. But if you think about all the, the more range of, of motion a joint has, the more problems you can have, particularly over time. The other thing that makes that joint extremely, you know, complex is that a lot of things go through there. So blood vessels, nerves, they have to travel through there all the way out to the toes. And they have to move in and around those bones uh, appropriately. And sometimes through wear and tear, even if you haven't injured it, uh, you mentioned flat feet. And sometimes if, you don't, if your arch support on your foot is designed a little bit differently just for you and as an individual, it can put excess pressure on certain uh, parts of the ankle joint. And uh, over time, that can wear down. Over time, you can have sort of a the body has uh, produces these little outgrowths called osteophytes, which are these little bony protrusions that can press on a nerve or press on other things. And then the ligaments that hold everything together uh, can be another problem. And tendons that sort of slide around bones can be one too. And you don't have to be an athlete or do anything you know really spectacular. Sometimes you just have it. Um, now I just if it's you know e even if it's while you're being still uh it could be a number of things i think you mentioned one sort of an entrapment type syndrome of a nerve and there could be the problem and uh, that may be an e fairly easy fix um if it is a ligament uh that's been partially torn uh you would probably have more instability in it if it was completely torn then that can be rehabbed a good bit. They may, you know, even can stabilize the joint. If it's been going on four or five weeks, the first thing I would do would be to discuss it with your with your doctor. I would do physical therapy on it because you may think that that may not do a whole lot, but it can do a lot because they can strengthen the muscles in your gait in such a way that it takes a lot of the pressure off the joint. That may be all you have to do, you know, for four to six weeks. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, I would see an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in the ankle and foot. And that may be a little bit hard in the Mobile area. You should have somebody uh, that's, uh, that's specialized in that. But 
not just any orthopedic surgeon though. I would, I would definitely choose somebody who has some expertise there, but that's sort of the stepwise process that I would go through imaging. Sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. So an MRI or a CT scan of the foot may be useful, but, um, you know, getting, getting to somebody that knows what they're doing and does a lot of it is probably the biggest thing, but that joint's so complex, particularly without having an exam, I'm not going to do you justice to, you know, to say, okay, this is what it is. But, um, but I, I would, I would, I think, you know, conservatively, I don't hear any red flags by what you said. I think you could contact your physician's office and say, Hey, can I, can I see you or can I get some physical therapy on this? And that, that ought to help at least a little bit. If it doesn't, then I would go the next step with an orthopedic surgeon. Okay. Yeah, I have an orthopedic surgeon that's done uh, some work for me before, carpal tunnel release and those same things. And he specializes in sports medicine. And so he works with a lot of the kids in the area as far as their injuries and things. And so I, I'm fairly confident in his abilities in that area as well. But thank you for your help. Yeah, that sounds like the perfect person. And thank you for, for calling there, Dwayne. All right, we're going to go to Tom and Brandon. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for calling. What's your uh, question or comment this morning? Good morning, Dr. Stewart. Uh, I have one bizarre question and one uh, that needs just your opinion. Uh, If you remember, I called a few months ago about an episode of vertigo uh, where I'd fallen and uh, injured my forehead. But uh, I I had a – this is the bizarre question. Uh, I pulled my – four siblings and no one in my family is aware of anybody else that's ever had vertigo. Uh, I realized that I have been wearing hearing aids and got them maybe a year prior to this first episode. And I had a second episode this week, but it was minor. Uh, I was able to uh, get over it in a couple of days. Uh, So my question is hearing aids obviously have some kind of amplification. It has a vibration is there any chance that a hearing aid could actually cause these crystals to dislodge from uh, uh, the canal that they're in or whatever? Uh, if they did, it would have to be so powerful that it would probably uh, it would probably overload your tympanic membrane and bust it. So, I mean, we're talking about explosive forces that could affect the inner ear, um, you know, a bomb going off or an explosive device close to you. But as far as the amplification that that hearing aid is is capable of, even in a maximum setting, it shouldn't do that. Now, a lot of times, the because of how close together these structures are, the semicircular canals in your ear, you have three of them, and they have, they affect the three axes of, of balance. And they have little stones that you said, the little crystals. So those are otoliths is the, uh, the uh, fancy doctor name for them. And they move around and they have a liquid in there. And based on how they're moving, that's how your body knows or one of the ways that your body knows where it is in space and can help prevent, you know, vertigo or that spinning sensation. Uh, That's also why if you go to the, you know, kids go to the playground and they do things where they spin around and around and around. And that's why they get dizzy is because those little otoliths are moving around in that semicircular canal and getting stimulated. But right up next to that is the same apparatus that uh, that senses sound, and it interprets that in the brain to allow you to hear. And uh, certain conditions can affect both of those. Sometimes wearing hearing aids that are tuned appropriately 
they've they've associated it with at least that that can that can help with some uh, some vertigo, particularly if it's something like Meniere's disease or, or hearing loss from other other things. But I, I haven't seen any kind of hard evidence on that. But sometimes it does help a little bit. Um, I don't think it could cause that. Uh, like I said, it would have to be something that was so loud and powerful it would have blown out your eardrum um, um, to do that to to be at the point where it would affect those those uh, otoliths. And you okay. said you had another another uh, question too. Yeah, if you recall, uh, I'm seventy five year old, physically fit male, and my other question had to do with heart rate. Uh, I seem to have a heart rate that is, I guess, uh, atypically low, uh, below 50 in some cases, in the, you know, 45 to 50 range, mostly never higher than maybe 52. Is that something to be concerned about at my age? So you, you said a couple of things, Tom, that, that we I always ask if I see that, you know, normally uh, patients would get their vital signs done first. And if you see a lower heart rate like that, I ask the question, how physically fit are you? And you, you just mentioned how, you know, that you're very active things that like running, biking, walking, uh, you know, we don't do a lot of Mississippi cross country skiing, those kinds of things, any aerobic activity where you're very, very active, usually you're going to have a lower heart rate with that. Uh, when I was running, uh, you know, competitively back when I was younger, my resting heart rate was around the low forties. Um, and so that's, you know, that sort of correlates with that. Now, the, the other thing to ask is if you're symptomatic, like, are you getting lightheaded and you mentioned the vertigo, that's a little bit different than lightheadedness. Lightheadedness would just be that fainting type feeling, or if you get up really quick, that sort of feeling of lightheadedness. And if, if it's not causing you any problems like that or chest pain or shortness of breath when it's lower, then that's probably okay. Um, now, in as you get older, you know, that is something that will probably come up over and over again because there can be some types of heart block that cause the same thing. It sounds to me in your case that that's probably a, a physiologic, normal uh, resting heart rate for you. Particularly if when you're doing activity, if it does go up, say in the 120s or 130s or even a little bit higher than that, that's normal. It needs to go up while you're doing the activity. But it sounds like you're just physically fit. But if I had somebody who came into my office and they said my resting, you know, if I noticed their resting heart rate was 50, they weren't active. Uh, certainly if they had those other symptoms, that would be, you know, an indication to get an EKG and then to check it out further. But it sounds like that's probably just a what we call a physiologic bradycardia. Well, I, I, I appreciate that answer, especially the part about the vertigo, because I was concerned this week, as I said, I had a small bout where I was, it was dizziness, but it was a spinning type dizziness. And I worried about whether my heart rate was uh, a symptom of that or a cause of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, you answered that, there's no connection to the vertigo. So I appreciate that. Oh, sure. And thank you for calling, Tom. Yeah, that's, and you know, unfortunately, vertigo is a very debilitating uh, condition to deal with. And it's, uh, uh, it's most of the time it's self-limiting, but it can be recurrent and, uh, and, and sometimes hard to treat too. So stick with it. I uh, hope you have uh, an improvement in your symptoms there and uh, stay as active as you can. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning, talking to you about your health care concerns and questions that you might have. Uh, you can call us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Got some great questions so far. Plenty of time for your questions though in the latter part of the hour. Uh, call in with those uh, if you if you want those answered today, or at least pointed in the right direction. I uh, did want to mention Daylight Savings Time is coming up. It always sneaks up on me. I learn about it usually the day before um, <laughs> and uh, and have to reset all the clocks and everything. But uh, it does bring up, you know, usually it doesn't affect us too much, uh, but it does bring up uh, the issue of sort of our, our diurnal cycles that we have. You know, uh, we're sort of put together, most people, that when the sun comes out, you wake up, and when the sun goes down, it gets dark, you fall asleep. And uh, that's sort of the, the normal day-night cycles that we have. But there are some um, instances where that gets disrupted. So if you're flying uh, from here to uh, Europe, for instance, in a different time zone, certainly that can do it. Or if you uh, work the night shift, that's more common, or, or have different shift work that you work, or if you're just staying up late. Um, with different things. Sleep can affect almost everything in the body. I was talking with a patient yesterday and, you know, uh, they started to get some more good quality sleep uh, due to using a CPAP machine for obstructive uh, sleep apnea. And lo and behold, their blood pressure got better. They had more energy during the day and were able to uh, increase their physical activity. Uh, so sleep is important. There's some great studies from the military and from NASA about sleep deprivation and the detrimental effects of that. Uh, since that time, we know that uh, not only can you have your health affected by decreased sleep, and in those early experience, uh, experiments, they kept people up for days on time. And if you uh, keep somebody up longer than about two to three days, then uh, you can start to see even some psychotic symptoms in those patients, uh, there's really a big time disruption in how the brain and the body can work. But even some small amounts of sleep deprivation over time can build up uh, negative effects from a health standpoint. So you want to get good quality sleep. And that's not just the amount of time, but I did mention quality sleep. So non-distracted sleep, 
uh, sleep where you're not getting fragmentation of it by waking up in the middle of the night and those kinds of things. So a uh, good thing to think about if you're having some of those symptoms you are, you're just not feeling rested at all, tell your physician about that. They may need to refer you to a sleep specialist. There's home sleep testing now for that most insurances cover uh, where you can actually uh, be monitored with uh, several different devices that are taped to your skin uh, that monitor your breathing and your brain activity during those times that you're asleep. And that can help with the diagnosis. Don't even have to go somewhere to, to sleep uh, that's not, uh, uh, that's not uh, the, the usual place where you sleep. So think about that as we think about daylight savings time. And maybe uh, a lot of times spouses or significant others will say, hey, you've got to do something about your patient sleep, my, my spouse, because they are just really just keeping me up at night with snoring or they sound like that they're not breathing at all. That's another big indication to get uh, tested for that because it's a lot more common than people think. And uh, the other thing is once you get appropriately diagnosed and treated, particularly for obstructive sleep apnea, most patients are amazed at how much better they feel uh, and how much better sleep that they obtain. So think about that. You know, medications can be useful sometimes, but generally speaking, we try to avoid those if we can uh, the, to adequately diagnose and treat other sleep disorders. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Uh, speaking of vaccines, uh, you know, we've gotten three choices now. I think everybody are pretty familiar with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which utilize messenger RNA to uh, sort of uh, cooperate with the body's own machinery in making proteins to make that, that outside envelope spike protein. And then your body body's immune system takes over to recognize that, to make antibodies against that, and to remember that for long periods of time. That's why you get the, the second dose of both of those. And the, the newest Johnson & Johnson um, one-dose uh, one vaccine is a little bit different in how it's made. It's actually a uh, chimeric um, uh, virus. Basically, they take a, a part of, the, uh, of, of a different virus, and they sort of hijack that and make it uh, make that virus make some of the uh, viral protein uh, spikes from COVID-19. And then the same kind of thing, once it's injected into your body, the, the body recognizes that as, as foreign and, and produces antibodies against it. So a lot of people have asked me, well, which one's better? Well, the first thing is if you're not able to get the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines, um, and right now, you know, time is of the essence. A lot of people are saying, well, can I wait six months or whatever? That It really is not that helpful to wait, particularly if we have a large number of people. Uh, we really need to get up to that 70 to 80 percent to really beat in this thing, uh, uh, people vaccinated. So if, if you're going to be delayed in getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, then I would go ahead and get the Pfizer and Moderna one. Uh, they are about 95% effective in preventing uh, a, an infection of COVID-19 if you're exposed to it. The Johnson Johnson is a little bit less than that. However, uh, it's it's about 65% effective uh, if you're exposed to COVID-19. 
But if you get it, then the severity of your course will be much less um, with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So in those uh, trials that they've seen, uh, patients who were exposed to COVID-19, uh, they actually had a much, much decreased hospitalization rate and, uh, and death rate uh, since they got that. So that is extremely useful. Uh, there And just to remind everybody, these aren't the only three vaccines in the world. There's a lot of other vaccines, too. Russia has one. China has has one. There's there's a lot of different other ones that are out there and probably will be. There will probably be others that are developed. Uh, right now, what we know is that the different variants of COVID, uh, as viruses do, they uh, continue to mutate and change over time, particularly if, with different pressures. We know that there's a couple of different ones uh, that are a little bit more alarming in their how easily infected they infective they are uh, with people getting them. Uh, the variant out of England, the B117, uh, uh, is certainly a lot more easily transmitted, but it appears to be protected. Uh, you're protected against that in the same way that you would with the older variants. Uh, if you got the vaccinations, all three of those vaccinations. And then the, the biggest one right now with proximity and uh, to us in the United States is probably the uh, variants, not just the UK variant, uh, but the variants in Brazil. So Brazil's really at the point of, of a healthcare collapse with the, the number of people that are being hospitalized there. Uh, in contrast to the decreases we're seeing here. But the variant that they have, uh, the more people you have with something like that, the more chances you are of, of uh, as those viruses replicate themselves, then uh, you can have different mutations that may become easier to transmit from person to person. So biggest thing is this is not over yet. We need to be really vigilant about it. If you haven't gotten a vaccine, I would encourage you to do that. The more people I've seen get vaccinated, even though they might have some uh, side effects with that, they are temporary, they go away, and they, do, they are uh, effective in decreasing uh, the risk of COVID-19, both getting it and some of the adverse effects with it too, particularly death. And then the other thing is, you know, we it's it, even with the numbers as low as they are right now, it's not a good time to go back out full force. Um, there have been some CDC recommendations this week that at least lessened uh, if you have other people that have been vaccinated, uh, particularly uh, in a, a couple other families, and you can be around them unmasked. Uh, in low-risk situations, you can also do that, but they still are recommending uh, large groups of people, particularly if you're coming from different uh, areas and unknown vaccination rates, then that's a little bit more of a setup for uh, for transmitting it. So just uh, be careful out there. You want to ease into, I want to ease into normalcy myself. Uh, I would love to get back to uh, traveling and doing some of the things that I uh, enjoy doing with my friends and family. Uh, but uh just be careful out there. And uh, there's nothing wrong with wearing that mask. I do it uh, in situations that are a little bit more high risk, not necessarily to protect only myself, but to protect other people as well. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or you can email us at uh, remedy at 
mpbonline.org. Should point out, if you miss something in a program, want to go back and listen to it, you can always go to our website, mpbonline.org, search for Southern Remedy, and check out our archive programs. You can listen to those. They usually go up within about 24 hours of, uh, of our live airing. Uh, of the program, but uh, check those out. I know a lot of people sort of have to pop in and out and they don't get to hear all of the programs. Um, hypertension, uh, that's one of my favorite things to treat. Uh, it can be very challenging. A lot of people had a question about that, sort of an older question, but it's one that's come up. Uh, I saw a patient uh, that uh, was successfully at their blood pressure goal I had a big improvement in their blood pressure control. And in this person, uh, this adult, it was less than 130 over 80. And they were asking, you know, at that point, they were on three different medications uh, to treat it, to, uh, to get it to that goal. And we're asking the question, what, you know, can I get off of those or can I do something a little bit different? Um, and that, is that too many medications? So what we know about blood pressure control is for most people to decrease the risk of heart attack, stroke, and peripheral vascular disease, among other things, kidney damage, eye damage. There's lots of different downstream effects to higher blood pressure, uh, dementia, and cognitive impairments, uh, even if you don't have a stroke. To do that effectively, most people need to be at a goal blood pressure of less than 130 over 80. And certainly there's different ways to do that. You can modify your diet and activity uh, to get it down. But for most people, it's going to require medications, particularly those with higher blood pressures uh, uh, off of medication. And if you look at some of the older trials that were tens of thousands of people that were enrolled in them, the, to get to that, that goal blood pressure, you really need between about two and a half to three medications to get there. So it's not unusual to see uh, that number of medications. I think some people, you know, have in their mind, uh, you know, is it just one medication? Am I on the wrong medication? Those are questions that I get a lot. Uh, the, the answer really is no, you really have to be on the right medication or medications to get you to that, that blood pressure goal. So it's not unusual if you're on three or maybe more medications. If you're at that goal blood pressure, that may be the amount of medications that keep you there. Another thing to keep in mind is once you get that, that goal, it's rare that we're able to take people off of medications. If they make big changes in their lifestyle, if they're not exercising, if they, maybe their diet uh, is not optimal, then if they do choose to do that, a lot of times we'll be able to decrease the dose or maybe even take them off of one or more medications. But you shouldn't do that just because your blood pressure is at goal, because once you remove those medications, the blood pressure goes right back up. So just a, a misconception, I think, by a lot of people are like, well, I'm at my blood pressure goal. Can I go ahead and get off my medications now? Same thing with cholesterol treatment as well. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy.
Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions and talking about a couple of different aspects of uh, Healthcare for individuals and the general population. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Dorothy. Good morning, Dorothy. Thank you for calling. Good morning. I just have a question about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I've taken the Moderna and I'm I'm very satisfied with it. But I understand the Johnson and Johnson is incorporated aborted baby stem cells into their medicine. And I'm just wondering, does it, how does it affect you? And what about its effect on young people under the age of 18? Uh, yeah, great questions. I have heard that. Uh, I have some patients that ask me the same thing. So, uh, in the, so the, there's a couple of different things that are related to stem cells uh, and how they are used and how they're derived. So, there are uh, there were uh, abortions back in the late 60s and early 70s, particularly two uh, specific abortions where some of those cell lines of the aborted fetus were used for different things. And they've been what's called immortalized. In other words, those cell lines are continue to grow in, in labs and uh, they are mainly used now to test how well the vaccines work initially uh, before they're tested on individual people. So there's different ways that they used to do that. In the case of Moderna and Pfizer, they were not used to produce any of that. So there's no aborted fetal cells in those vaccines whatsoever. They were used to test it uh, in early, early, early trials. Um, so it's a little bit different. Now, with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, uh, it, in the in the production and sort of the background for manufacture, they did use uh, the one fetal cell line culture. Um, and actually, most of the time now, just because of how strongly a lot of people feel about the you know using those cell lines, they did uh, they on their ethics board they did have uh, both the Catholic Church and several other. Uh, religious groups, including Southern Baptist Convention and other other people, uh, other groups, and uh, had them sort of weigh in on that. And after looking at how it was used and everything, they, uh, you know, I can say both of those groups, uh, I don't want to speak for, for religious organizations, but in their statements, they both said that it was morally and ethically acceptable uh, to, to, to uh, you know, to receive the Johnson Johnson vaccine. Um, and, but it is, you know, I think that's something that certainly a lot of people want to know and it may influence which vaccine that they get. So differences between, uh, really Moderna and Pfizer, extremely similar, very, very similar in how they were manufactured and tested. Uh, but then Johnson and Johnson, just because of the differences in it and how they went about making it, um, they did use that to produce and manufacture 
the vaccine. And if, you know, as far as effects with that, um, that's not, there's, there's no fetal tissue that even in Johnson Johnson that you would receive. So it's, it's totally a viral particle and there's no fetal tissue in that. It's how it's manufactured basically. Um, okay. And to the, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very and, much. And, oh yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, let me, I just want to keep following up with that too. Like the question about how, you know, is it, is it going to affect younger individuals differently? That's one of the reasons why we do clinical trials in younger individuals, because in children, especially, we don't know how that's going to be, you know, affected. Uh, and I'm talking about vaccines, uh, uh, not not necessarily fetal tissue at this point. Um, but, um, you know, that is some of the things that we just don't know at this point, And that's why we need to do the testing to try to figure that out. And that's why we haven't opened it up yet to uh, children uh, or adolescents. All right, let's go to John in Starkville. Good morning, John. Good morning. Uh, I've heard a lot of talk about immunity following the vaccination for COVID, but very little discussion about the immunity if you have had COVID. And I'd like to hear your comments on that, please. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, th thanks, John. That's a good question. So, you do, most people do develop a, a robust immunity after uh, developing COVID. As you can imagine, if you have a more severe course of it, uh, you know, it's sort of logically, you, most of the time you, you'd have individuals that make antibodies. Now, it is a bit different, though. It's, it's not, you know, people think, uh, well, if, you got, if everybody got COVID, we would have antibodies, and if you think about the common cold, you can get that every year um, uh, and still not have enough immune response to it to prevent it moving forward. Same thing with the flu, whereas a, a vaccine produces a little bit different and sometimes more potent immune response because of, of the particular sort of targeted approach to what we're trying to develop an immune response to. Uh, but most of what we know right now is that most people who get COVID-19, they're going to have an immunity to it probably for at least eight months. We have seen individuals that as early as three months uh, that they uh, had a separate, uh, another infection with COVID, particularly with some of these variants. So the variants that we are the mutations that we talked about earlier, like the one from the UK that was that was identified there, and then the Brazilian one? Those are the mutations that can um, that can uh, you, you can you can develop that even if you've been infected with COVID before, and that's another good example of where the vaccines help protect against those. At least for what we know right now, all the different variants, we don't have anything to suggest that that vaccination is not going to protect. But for most people, probably about eight months of protection at least. And the reason I can't say, you know, beyond that is just because uh, we just don't have that, you know, it just hasn't been that long since people developed it. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's the thought process. Now, everybody's different. And particularly if you're an individual that's getting treated for, uh, for autoimmune diseases where it's, or if you're on steroids for a long time, uh, anything like that that sort of reduces the effectiveness of your immune system, you need to, you know, those patients are going to be more at risk to developing COVID again. 
All right. Thank you, John, for that. It's always a good question about immunity. And, uh, you know, there's population immunity and there's individual immunity within that. And another reason for getting large numbers of people vaccinated is that you do protect those individuals that may not have a robust immune response from getting COVID um, and that are at the highest risk. And you have that herd immunity around them uh, to protect them, particularly if you're living in the same households as them or if you're around them socially. So it's Definitely something to think about, and uh, certainly the you know getting COVID with the risk there, it's it's you know high enough that you'd want to you know would want to go with the vaccine. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. <music>